You know, every year they come out with some new words. They aren't necessarily words that are going to get put in the dictionary and become official words of the English language, but they are words that people come up with to explain uh, different things that happen in life. Let me give you some examples. Uh, the first one is phonesia. Phonesia. Do you have any ideas about what phonesia might mean? Uh, see, now that, that would be the logical definition, isn't it? That it's, you forgot where you left your phone. So it's phone amnesia. See, phonesia. But that's not exactly right. It does involve your phone. But what phonesia means, it explains that phenomenon that you dial a number, and while you're waiting for them to answer, you forget who you just called. Thank you. Thank you, Raphael. He's calling my phone right now. Uh, yeah, have you ever done that? You know, if you have to wait like several rings and then they answer and you go, who is this? <laughs> and you go, what? you called me. What do you mean? Um, here's another good one. Disconfect. Disconfect. It explains what happens. When you try to sterilize a piece of candy that's been dropped on the floor by blowing on it. Everybody's done it. You know, your kid puts the quarter in the, in the thing and you turn it and they don't catch it and it plops on the floor. And what do you do? <laughs> so now it's got floor germs and spit all over the candy. Yeah, that, that works really, really good. But disconfect, kind of disinfecting the confectionery. See, that's, that's where that comes from. Here's another good one. Blame storming. Blame storming. You're familiar with brainstorming. You know, a group of people that get together and try to come up with ideas about something. Well, blame, blame storming is a group of people coming together and spending all their time trying to figure out who to blame rather than solving the problem. That's, that's become a, kind of a problem for many businesses. You know, they'll call a meeting and say, we've got this problem, and they spend all their time saying, well, who screwed up? Who messed up? Who can we blame for this? Who should we fire for this? Rather than actually saying, how do we fix this? We try not to do that in our church meetings. We don't, we don't, we don't want to do any blame storming. One more. One more, and this is, I like this one. Intoxication. Intoxication. It's the euphoria that you feel when you first get your tax refund until you realize it was your money to start with. You know, doesn't that happen? Oh, look, the government sent me a check for $2,000. Wait a minute, that was my money. And they've held it hostage all year. <laughs> and now they've given it back to me. Um, you know, great, intoxication, I like that. Uh, I like those words because they help us look at some familiar things in new ways. But for the next five weeks, I don't want to look at a new word. I want to look at an old word. 
an er, a word that you're probably very familiar with, and a word that you probably think you have a pretty good understanding of. But I hope that over the next five weeks we expand our thinking about this word. And the word is grace. If you've been a Christian very long at all, if you've read very much of this book at all, and especially if you're part of the great banquet community that meets here at the church, you've heard and used the word grace a lot. It's a common Christian word. One of our most beloved hymns is what? Amazing grace. We sing about it. We talk about it. Uh, but do you really understand it? Can you explain it to somebody? If someone said, you know, I, I heard your pastor say something about grace. Uh, what does that mean? Could you explain it to them? You know, if you asked me to explain or define grace, I could give you the traditional answers. Grace is God's unmerited favor. That's a good one. I've heard that a lot. It means that, you know, you, you, don't, you haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. You don't achieve it in any way. But grace is something that is freely given to you by God. Okay. Uh, we might say grace is getting what you don't deserve. You know, justice is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We may deserve punishment, but we get forgiveness. And that's grace. And there are a lot of ways we could talk about grace, but I think the bottom line is that grace is something that has to be experienced. You know it when you see it. You know it when you feel it, when you receive it. It's not primarily something we can just talk about with words. It has to be experienced. And grace can never be fully experienced unless it's in the context of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because if you think about it, the world is not good at grace. I don't find a lot of grace in our world. We're much better at criticizing one another, judging one another, pointing out people's faults and failings. We're much better at highlighting our differences than that which brings us together. We just don't do grace very well because grace is not a quality of our human nature. Grace is something that emanates from God. And it's only in the context of a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that you can ever experience the fullness of this thing we call grace. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot this morning that is going to be an aha moment. Oh, never thought of that. I'm not going to say a whole lot that you don't already know. But I'm going to say what I'm going to say because you all know someone who needs God's grace 
but who for whatever reason has denied or rejected God's grace and has never received it. And you have opportunities to talk with them. And I hope that you can take what we share this morning and it might help you to have that conversation with someone. You know, the place to begin is with acknowledging that we need grace in our lives. There's a verse of scripture you're probably familiar with, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've, we've used that scripture a lot. It describes the human condition. And unfortunately, it describes the condition of everyone. That's why it says all. It's not some people in some places. It is all people everywhere. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, there's three ways to respond to that statement. You can respond with denial. I'm not a sinner. I'm just as good as anybody else. In fact, I would stack up my life against anybody else I know. I am a good person. Do you know anybody like that? Others will compromise it or dilute it and say, well, yeah, I may be a sinner, small s, but I've never been a capital S sinner. You know, I've never done the really big bad stuff that makes you a sinner. Uh, I'm, I do pretty well compared to everybody else. And then there is the person who hears that statement, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they just say, that's me. Have mercy on me. <laughs> Oh, Lord. You know, I went through all three of those steps with my recent illness. For about two or three weeks, I wasn't feeling well. I was a little off. But I was in denial that anything was really wrong. I'm not. I'm okay. I got some kind of bug. Something's a little off, but it'll correct itself if I just tough it out and keep going. When that didn't happen, I went to the doctor. But even then, I kind of diluted or compromised my need. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I'm having a thing. I need you to run a test, give me a pill, make me better, and I'll go on with my life. <laughs> it wasn't until I was flat on my back in the emergency room that I said, I am sick. <laughs> There is something seriously wrong here, and I need help. And what I went through physically is what each and every person has to go through spiritually. They have to get past the denial through the dilution or the compromise to the point that they say, you know what, I am a sinner, and I need grace. So the diagnosis for the human condition is sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and they're talking about Adam, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. 
You know, when I read that verse, you know what comes to mind? Have you seen any of these movies about a viral pandemic? You know, there's some virus that gets loose and there's this huge world crisis and they race against time to try to get the, the cure, the antidote and get it to the people. Well, whenever you see one of those movies, they'll show a world map and they'll show like a little red spot and say, this is where it's happening. This is where the virus has broken out. And they'll say, well, what's the, what's the prognosis for that? It says, well, if we don't contain this within 24 hours, it's going to look like this. And there's a bunch more red spots. And then within 72 hours, it's going to look like this. And there's a whole lot more red spots. And, of course, the doomsday scenario is the whole world just turns red. <laughs> it affects everybody. Well, that's the image I get when I read this verse in Romans 5.12. Because that's what Paul is saying about sin. He said, sin came through one man. And death came through that sin. And that sin has infected every one. Every single person is infected with the sin virus. And until we understand that, we're never going to seek God's grace. And we need to understand that sin is a terminal condition, spiritually. Just like we have terminal illness physically, sin is a terminal spiritual condition. It results in death. And it results in death every time. And it results in death for everyone. No one gets out of that alive. Now that's a pretty scary thought and a pretty depressing one. That's why I'm glad I could read farther in Romans 5. Romans 5.15 says, But the gift is not like the trespass or the sin. For if the many died through the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflow to the many? In other words, there is a cure. There is an antidote to this sin virus. And it came through Jesus Christ, and it's called grace. And just as the virus inflicts all everywhere, so the antidote is available to all everywhere. So often in these movies, there's only a chosen few that get the few doses of antidote that there are available, and everyone else is just going to die. But God did not come into this world to bring his grace to a few he brought it to all. In fact, if we move on down, Romans 5, 20 and 21, he says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The more the virus spreads, the more the cure is made available. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what every single person has to realize. They have to acknowledge their need for it by understanding that they have been infected by the sin virus and unless we receive the cure of God's grace, it will be terminal. I like the way he sums it up in verse 17. He speaks of God's abundant provision of grace. God's abundant provision of grace. I, I like to watch my grandchildren. 
and the way they relate to each other. Talking about you, Gabe. Yeah. Gabe is 10 and Brianna is 6. Now, they've been taught to share. You know, if one of them has something and the other one doesn't, they're supposed to share. But it's always interesting to watch how that happens. Let's say one of them has a bag of candy and the other one does not. And the one that doesn't have any says, can I, can I have some of your candy? Now, does the one with candy just say, sure, and hold it out and let them take all they want? Do they dump it out on the table and say, okay, we'll just divide it in half evenly? Here's what happens, and I love this. The one with the candy becomes like the miser hoarding their gold. You want to make sure the other one doesn't just reach their hand in and take it, you know. So you got to clutch it to yourself. And then you peek into the bag and try to figure out where's the smallest piece. And once you've identified the smallest piece, you extract that and go here. Because, as I said, we're not very good at grace, are we? But, you know, that's not what God does. When you go to God, when you acknowledge your need for Him and say, Lord, I need your grace, He doesn't go, Do you want my grace? Now, don't use it all at once, because it's all you're going to get. <laughs> no. God says, oh, you need grace? Here you go. Oh, that wasn't enough? He pours it out. He lavishes it on us because he has an abundant provision of grace. That's what it means. He's got a lot, and he's willing to share all that he's got. And the good news is you can't out God's grace. Some people think they have. There are people who acknowledge their need for grace, but then don't receive it because they say, well, I'm just too bad. My sin is too great. I understand that he forgives sinners, and I understand that he died on the cross for people, but, but you don't understand what I've done in my life. There's not enough grace to cover that. And God's up in heaven saying, try me. <laughs> you put your sin on the table and I'll cover it with my grace every single time. A good example of what we're talking about, and every week we're going to kind of use a story of grace from the Bible, is in John 8. Verses 1 to 11. Jesus was teaching in the courtyard until he was disrupted by a mob, kind of an angry sounding crowd of people moving toward him. And in the midst of this crowd of people was a woman 
who had been seized from her home, who had to grab a bed sheet or something to cover her because she didn't even have time to get dressed. And she was being pushed through the streets until they got to Jesus and they put her in front of him. And they said, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, a crime for which the law of Moses said she should be stoned. What do you say we should do with her? Now we knew their judgment because they've already got the rocks. They came prepared to condemn this woman to death. Jesus grew silent. He stooped down. He doodled in the dirt. We don't know what he doodled. But we know what he said. He stood back up and said, Let the one of you who has no sin throw the first rock. Then he doodled some more. <laughs> now the religious leaders were very self-righteous people. They considered themselves the most righteous of the Jews. But even they would not dare to claim sinlessness. So one by one, they drop the stones. They walk away. Until no one is left, the Bible says, but Jesus and the woman. They had looked at her with eyes of hatred and accusation and judgment. Jesus now looks at her with eyes of compassion. And he says, woman, who condemns you? And through her sobs, she mutters, no one, Lord. No. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. This woman was having the worst day of her life. She had violated the law of God. And she had the guilt that went along with that. She had been paraded through the streets... So that everyone would know what she had done. And she had the shame of that. Her life was being threatened. And on the worst day of her life, she encounters Jesus and experiences grace. Not because it was explained to her. Not because she sat through a Bible study that taught it to her, but simply because someone who was full of grace and truth, as the Bible describes Jesus, let that grace overflow out of his life into hers. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is how have you experienced God's grace in your life? Or let's turn it around and make it personal. Each one of you needs to ask yourself, how have I experienced God's grace? 
And that's not just a theoretical question. I want you to think about that this week, and I want you to come up with an answer to that. And on November 19th, which is the last week of this series, rather than sharing with you a biblical story of grace, I'm going to ask some of you to share yours. In each service, I'm going to pick out three or four people and ask you to share your story of grace with the rest. So I want you to think about that question. How have I experienced God's grace in my life? Maybe write something out. Just talk in a two or three minutes, not, not anything real long. And then I want you to come up to me over the next four weeks and say, I have a story of grace and I would be willing to share it. Because if you don't, I'm just going to pick you. There is no pressure there at all. But uh, you may not want me to do that. So it would be really helpful if some of you would just come up and volunteer and let me know that you would be willing to share your story of grace on that Sunday. Let us pray. Father, I am so grateful for the grace that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. A grace that is beyond description, a grace that words cannot define, a grace that just has to be felt and experienced. Father, I pray that each of us would realize just how much your grace means to us. And that your grace is greater than whatever may come our way in this world. For it's in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.